0: Welcome to True Paranormal, the podcast with your host, Leo Rizzuti. Every week we will explore such topics as ghosts, demons, poltergeists, haunted history, time shifts, cryptozoology, and other aspects of the paranormal through listener submitted accounts, documentary studies, and interviews with the investigators that dedicate their lives to searching for proof of the unknown. So get a fresh cup of coffee, dim the lights, relax get ready for a short visit to the realm of the true paranormal. Hi guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. It is finally spring apparently. The weather seems to have settled down and everybody's out cutting grass these days and the pollen is apparently affecting a little bit of you guys because most folks seem to be walking around looking like rocky at the end of 15 rounds with apollo creed so hopefully you guys don't find yourselves in that position and you're able to stay indoors or at least keep your head a little bit clear uh during this most traumatic time of the year for our sinuses <laughs> At any rate guys, we've got a lot of stories from you folks that you have sent in and thank you guys for doing that and we're going to jump right into those. Our first story of the evening is titled, One Too Many Encounters and comes to us from Pat. Okay, Pat, let's see what you sent to us. I believe I had lived with numerous spirits up until about four years ago. I am now 20 and live with my grandmother aunt parents and a younger sister we just recently moved here but i was away at college for the past year and a half during the first early years of my life me my parents and my three other siblings lived in a very small one-story house my mother has told me that in that house there was the spirit of an old sailor who used to hit her and leave bruises on her arms whenever she went to do laundry She also said there was a lady spirit who left the smell of lavender perfume wherever she was, and that this female spirit would sing my oldest sister to sleep at night. My mother also told me that this lady got rid of the sailor one night in a fit of flying pots and pans. I have no recollection of this time period, so I am not wholly a believer in what my mother says. I do remember my experiences starting around the time I was four or five. One night, I was sitting in the living room, watching TV with my mother. From the living room, walking towards the back of the house is the dining room, converted into a weight room. Adjacent to that was my second oldest sister's room with a doorway covered by a sheet. There are no doors to rooms in the house except for my parents' bedroom and the two bathrooms. As I was watching TV, I happened to look out into the dining room and saw a lady dressed in a wedding-type gown glide across the room and enter my sister's room. The woman's skin was also white along with her hair. As she entered my sister's room, the sheet covering the doorway moved slightly. I got up to investigate, but there wasn't anyone in the room. My mother didn't see anyone but years later told me that the spirit of a murdered bride was stuck in the house. Off to the left of the weight room is another room we call the green dining room. And adjacent to that room is our kitchen that has a door leading out to the backyard. Adjacent to the kitchen is our bathroom. Another time, the only time I had a witness to one of my experiences, my sister and I were sitting watching TV during the day in the living room. We both heard footsteps as though my father was coming in from the kitchen. They stopped by the weight room doorway entrance to the living room. Then we both saw an image of our father standing at the doorway looking in on us. I saw what appeared to be a photo negative of my father, while my sister said she saw a shadow figure of my father. Another incident, a quite embarrassing time, happened one night while I was going to the bathroom. I had left the door partway open because it was only me, my sister, and my father at home. So if you were to look up, you could see into the kitchen between the door and the doorframe. I had been in the bathroom for about 10 minutes when I happened to look up and into the kitchen. The shadow of a young boy passed by quickly and I thought maybe it was my sister and I wasn't seeing things too well. I called her name but she didn't answer. Then, it sounded as if the doorknob had been taken hold of. I didn't wait to see what was going to happen next. I started to scream my sister's name at the top of my lungs until she came in. She thought I was going to die or something, that's how terrified I sounded. I even freaked out my dad. My sister told me that she was just about to enter the kitchen when I started screaming her name. My mother had told me previous to this incident that there was the spirit of a little boy who liked to slam the bathroom door shut if you left it open just a little bit. Also many times I would see people out of the corner of my eye, but when I would turn, they would disappear. I would hear my name being called when there was no one there. I constantly heard the back door opening and someone entering the house, but there was never anyone there. One time I was so convinced that someone had come in that I grabbed my brother's baseball bat from upstairs and went downstairs to investigate. When I got to the kitchen after searching the rest of the house, I found the door was still locked. I saw someone resembling my brother run down the driveway, but when I went outside, there was no one there. I even ran to the front of the house to look out the windows and there was no one in sight. My brother came home about an hour later directly from school. I just hate it, being a latchkey kid. Wow, Pat, that was an amazing story. It definitely sounds like your mother might have been highly sensitive to any kind of ghostly activity happening around you guys. Um which could be a good thing or could be a bad thing, depending on your perspective. But it definitely sounds like you guys had a lot of activity going on in your house. I think it's interesting that you did see the apparition of your dad. We have uh, actually had that happen to us multiple times. My wife would say that she would see or hear me coming home from work on occasion I got to be actually a fairly regular thing at our house. It would always be a half hour to an hour before I got home. And she would hear me come up the stairs and once or twice she would actually see me. And of course, I would still be at work. It would be almost like a precursor to me getting home. And if you listen to our episode on doppelgangers, there's some good information there as to this phenomenon that's not necessarily ghostly, but it is definitely weird. Um, sounds like you had a little bit of that going on there along with some very active spirits at any rate. Thank you, Pat, for sending your story. And we really appreciate that. Okay. Our next story comes to us from Ryan and he has titled it haunted port Perry. Okay, Ryan, let's see what haunted port Perry is all about. The first house my family lived in was a brand new house and was actually located just down the street from Ghost Road on Scugog Island. For the first seven years we lived there and it was quiet, never a sign of a presence. But then one day, out of the blue, a presence could be felt strongly by me, my sister, and my aunt. My first major encounter happened when I was just getting out of the shower. My sister was upstairs and my parents had gone to work. We were getting ready to catch the school bus. I was brushing my teeth and the silence was broken by the sound of a scratching across the wall outside the bathroom. And it sounded like it was getting closer to the bathroom door. It stopped and then a heavy knock hit the door. I called out, hello. It knocked a second time only a lot harder. I called out again. Then the knocking turned into a violent pounding against the door. So hard that the door was actually shaking, almost as if someone was using a baseball bat rather than a closed fist. As I reached for the doorknob, the pounding stopped just as quickly as it started. And I opened the door only to see that there was no one there. I got freaked out and ran upstairs and met my sister in the kitchen with our dog who was growling. She asked what the pounding was and I told her I had thought that it was her. When she admitted to not doing it and seeing that the dog was disturbed as well, we booked it out of the house. A few days later, my sister was in her room and I heard a loud crash and a scream. I ran into the room and she was against the wall and said that her TV had been lifted off of its stand and was thrown across the room. It soon got to the point where neither one of us wanted to set foot in the house. There was a strong energy that felt like we weren't welcome. There was one incident where I was playing Nintendo in the den and I heard someone running down the hall. When I turned to look, I saw a tall figure in a black hooded cloak glide by my door and into my sister's room. And then there was a loud crash. I was stunned for a moment then went to see what broke or fell over but nothing was even touched. That same figure appeared one night in the living room. My sister was woken up by the sound of a music box that we have on a coffee table. It suddenly started to play and beside it stood the shadow. When she told my mom and me my mom was in disbelief until my dad suddenly walked into the door and said, You won't believe what happened last night. He said he was in the kitchen at the time that my sister witnessed this event, and he saw the same thing. Shortly after that, we decided to move as more disturbances kept occurring, furniture being moved, footsteps, shadows, and the such. We moved to another house right in the town of Port Perry, and after the first few months, we started having more disturbances. It wasn't the same presence, however. Our last house was an old man, as he was seen by my aunt and a friend of mine, and from our experiences, we gather that it was not a happy spirit. Our house now has the presence of a woman in white, and believe it or not, a German shepherd. Most of my friends have all experienced something Usually the sound of someone walking into the house and going into the kitchen or one of the bedrooms, as you can clearly hear footsteps from upstairs when you're in the basement. This is the most common disturbances. In fact, I had it happen again just a few days ago. But I have one friend that heard someone come downstairs and she saw someone walk around the corner to the hall from the side of her eye. When she got up to check, she saw a woman in a white dress standing in the hall. I was out of the house at the time picking someone up, but she called me after it happened and she was screaming and crying on the phone and said she'd meet me outside. My sister has also seen this figure up close and personal as one night while walking through the kitchen in the dark, she physically bumped into someone, turned on the lights only to see that there was no one there. As for the German Shepherd, I was woken up one night to the sound of my dog growling. I looked only to see my dog sitting in the hall, nose to nose with a German Shepherd that was transparent. The German Shepherd looked at me, then disappeared. These disturbances come and go and don't seem to be as bad as they used to be. But my most terrifying experiences come from my friend's old house. My friend Paul lived in the first hospital of Port Perry, so his house was close to 300 years old. I will admit that I have a bit of a sixth sense. I don't always see spirits and I can't, or at least I haven't tried, communicating with them, but I have always been able to sense their presence, and I haven't been proven wrong yet. Any time I've ever stepped foot in my friend's house, the energy at times could be cut with a knife. My first experience there was also one of my first experiences overall. I had slept over one night and woke up to see a nurse standing at the end of my bed. I sat up just to make sure I was fully awake, and she just stood there staring right back at me for the better part of a minute, then disappeared. I recently found out that my friend's room, which is more like an apartment, was originally the nurse's quarters. My friend's sister-in-law said that one day she was going through her closet. Her and her friend's brother had an apartment upstairs. It was a huge house. When all of a sudden, the clothes parted and a woman came out of the closet, face to face with her. After that, she wouldn't go back into the apartment unless someone was with her. The scariest experience I had happened while visiting one summer night a few years back. Me and Paul went to his house to meet some of our friends there before going wherever it was we were going. We went to the front door and it was locked. Okay, no biggie, so we went to the side door. As Paul reached for the doorknob, the screen door started to shake, then swing back and forth, and the doorknob began to spin. He turned to me, and I was already at the end of the driveway. The door stopped moving, and He told me to stop being a chicken and just to come in. As I walked back up to the door, we saw through the basement window, the light suddenly turn on. Now, his basement was used for storage, but when the house was a hospital, it was the morgue. No one ever really goes into the basement, and aside from that, the house was empty other than us. Paul reached for the door again, and once again, it started to violently swing back and forth. Paul just grabbed the doorknob and swung the door open, and it stopped. We walked in only to hear the TV in the other room on full blast. We walked into the family room, but to get there, you had to cross by the front door, which was locked. Well, it was now wide open as if someone had left in a hurry. So we sat in the family room trying to make sense of everything when one of our friends came by along with Paul's sister-in-law, Karen. We told them what had happened and they thought that it was creepy. Karen then went upstairs to her apartment and not a minute later we hear her screaming. We ran up only to see the faucets to her sink turning on and off by themselves. We ran downstairs where a fourth friend of ours had just arrived. We still had to wait for one more person so we sat and watched TV trying to forget everything that had been happening. The room Then got very, very cold. It was in the middle of summer and Paul decided he was going to start a fire in the fireplace because it was so ice cold. My friend and I went out for a smoke and while we were talking we heard Paul yell. We asked what had happened and he said the fire poker flew out from where it had rested and hit him in the leg. He said he was standing about 8 feet away from it so there's no way it could have just fallen over and hit him. My friend and I went back outside to finish our smoke, and I sat in the wicker couch on their deck when suddenly I felt two hands grab my shoulders and scratch down my back. I spun around to look, but no one was there. My friend and I got up and ran to the convenience store down the street, called the house, and told everyone else that they'll have to meet us here at the store because we weren't coming back. Whoa, Ryan, that's a very cool story. It does sound like the town that you live in has more than a little bit of activity going on in it. The German Shepherd incident, I really think is kind of neat because I've once or twice ran into animal hauntings, but they're not really all that common. Uh, We've had instances in investigations where we have had animal sounds and you can even sometimes catch an animal smell in haunted houses but they're not nearly as common as i personally would think animals tend to have a big impact on our lives and they make a big impression on the world around us but there's not as many animal hauntings as i would expect there to be out there but does sound like you had some definite freaky activity going on I'm amazed that you guys were ever going to go back to your friend's house. I know definitely after all the activity in that last incident, I certainly wouldn't have wanted to step foot back in there for a little while. do appreciate you sending in your story, Ryan. That was absolutely incredible. Okay, our last story of the evening is titled The Old Strum House, and it was sent to us by Barbara. Okay Barbara, let's see what you sent to us. The Old Strum Place sat on a hill, five miles south of Cornelius, Oregon. Also known as the Old Storm Place, it was built by an old German and his family from the old country. It had clabbered siding, painted white, with lots of windows. It had a huge barn on the place that sat below the house amid huge cedars furs, and pine trees that sighed in the wind like the pines in a Kerwood novel. I first saw the old house in the last part of 1937. The Depression was still rampant in the land, and so many were out of work. But if you could get out of town and back to the land, there was always nuts, fruits, and berries to work in and put up for the winter at a minimal cost. There was always empty houses or woodcutter's shacks, empty because people had left to go elsewhere or some farmer had bought or leased land and didn't need the house that went with it. Most were not in too bad a shape. Usually a stove had been left along with a rough-hewn table, some benches, and orange crates for cupboards nailed to the walls One made out pretty well. No one seemed to be on window-breaking benches, so the windows were usually intact. With flower sack curtains, a good floor scrubbing, fire in the stove, and a pot of beans cooking, they were a haven to crawl into, and it felt like home. Most everyone took care of the property and left it as neat, or more so, than when they moved in. Sure beat a hole in the wall apartment or tar paper and corrugated cardboard shack near the dumps. Jump forward a couple of decades. We sure needed a place to stay. We had a baby girl and my husband could cut wood if we could find a place to live. We moved into the old storm place after getting permission from the owner, who owned another farm about a mile and a half away, and farmed this place. We asked about the amount of rent he wanted, but to our amazement, he could hardly keep a grin off his face or a twinkle from his eyes, like he had some secret, and said he didn't want any rent as we wouldn't be there very long anyway. He said sure we could live there if we could stand it. Up the road the other way lived a bachelor, a thick-set German, who only laughed when we told him we were moving in, and he also wanted to know how long we were staying. We couldn't figure out what the joke was, but shrugged it off and moved in. Everyone we saw would say incredulously, you're moving into the old stormhouse?" and look at us as if we were either too young or too foolish to catch on. We met many with just open stares, embarrassed grins, or just a shake of the head. Evidently, the house was well known. There was my husband and I, our little girl, and every once in a while one of our cousins who stayed with us, often by turns, who would come to help cut some wood for a while. They used one of the old Drag saws, you now see in museums, and were paid $2.50 a cord, cut, delivered, and stacked. This was divided, two in sometimes three ways, but you could also keep a few chickens, and the neighbors gave us milk for milking his cow when he had to be gone. The place looked like a castle, as we sure needed a place to stay with a baby and down to our last nickel, you might say. My husband's cousin had an old car, so we had transportation. Our water came from an old pump by the side of the house, which we had to carry in for drinking, washing, scrubbing floors, cooking, canning, and baths. And of course, this all had to be heated on the cook stove. The well was a deep one and echoed many sounds, kind of like footsteps walking, that never appeared. Many sounds that we heard, we dismissed as just being part of the well. We did begin to hear that no one who ever lived there stayed very long. A cousin of my husband and her family stayed a short time before moving to the North Plains area. They never would talk about the place, but did say no one member of the family stayed alone. While we were there, we hardly ever used the front door or even the front part of the house, as the back door seemed more convenient to the kitchen, woodshed and all. We began to hear stories mostly from our bachelor german neighbor that the strums had been bootleggers a man was killed on the stairway leading upstairs and that there were trap doors in some of the rooms we believed all the stories because the bloodstains were still visible on the steps four or five steps up and also where the blood spilled on the floor we did also find three trap doors that led to nice dug out spaces below the floors. We kept being told after we moved in that no one would live there ever, but we were young and brave and who believed in ghosts anyway? And who worries when you're young? We moved in with little or no furniture, using what we could find and besides we decided after being around, the other part of the house wasn't needed and it felt like it wasn't a very friendly part anyway. For a while, everything went along all right. Being early summer, we were out of doors a lot, but as it got on towards fall, we began to notice odd noises. The first seemed to be these resounding footsteps that could be heard on the north side of the house where the pump sat. I would run out to meet whoever was there, glad for any company as the farms were a long way apart in those days and no one would be there. Since the farms were two or three miles apart, we couldn't see how footsteps could possibly echo so. The next incident was the sound of someone chopping wood in the woodshed, usually in the afternoons. It would be the sound of measured chopping, and I would dash out thinking my husband had come home early. If the drag saw was broken down, often his cousin would go to town for parts, and my husband would come home and cut wood for the wood range and heater stove in the dining room. However, when I'd get to the woodshed, the chopping would stop, only to start up again when I got back into the house. So I think he would just stepped outside for a minute and go running out again when the chopping started up again. This would go on and on until it seemed I would wear my legs out. It would go on for days, lasting an hour or so every afternoon, and then maybe go weeks before I would start hearing it start up again. Always in the afternoons only. This went on as long as we lived there. We never did figure out an explanation for this. There were also the sound of men's footsteps that went to the stairs where the blood spots were, stopped, and walked on into the living room, we use as our front room. This would go on for some time, and then quite a while would pass before... It would be back again. He seemed to end his walk at the trap door at the end of the room. That trap door was very active all the time we lived there. I often wondered if someone was buried there. Every afternoon, without fail, about three o'clock in the afternoon, no matter what you were doing, your head would automatically jerk towards the corner of that trap door. It was a forced reaction and You just couldn't keep from doing it. It became so routine we just accepted it. We never told anyone about this as we liked to see if it affected everyone the same way. It would and they would get a funny look on their face and say they had to be going. No one ever didn't jerk and stare at the trap door. The trap door was cut in such a way that if you didn't know about it you didn't see it and. We didn't bother to tell anyone about it we were having a good time with it and thought it was fun after we moved a few people asked us about it and being young and full of mischief sometimes we told them no we didn't notice anything about once a month when there was a full moon shining over the fields and trees different footsteps walked from the back door through the kitchen living room and on to the south bedroom where they seemed to stand and look out the window These sounded like the steps of a young girl who seemed to be barefoot. Like the sound of bare feet sticking to the floor and then moving on across the room. The men used to follow these steps one by one and they didn't stop until they got to the window. She's the only one we ever saw, by the way, like an apparition, barefoot and dressed in a long black cape. We saw her twice. One night, one of my husband's cousins were coming to spend the night. Ruby was to stop at a sister's place down below the hill from us, have supper and visit and then come up to spend the night. It got later and later and she hadn't arrived, so we went to bed, having told her to just come in and go to bed when she got back. Sometime after midnight, the back door opened softly and, thinking it was Ruby, I didn't get up. The bedroom was along with a cot at the far end. As she seemed to stop or pause at the doorway, I whispered, Come in, Ruby, and crawl in. There wasn't any electricity, and the moonlight was shining into the window, so I didn't light the lamp. She stood in the doorway in her long black coat or cape, so I whispered again louder two or three times. Still, there was no movement, and now I was getting chills up my back. I woke my husband saying there's someone standing there and they won't answer. He turned and saw her standing there and swung at her with his fist, at which point she disappeared. Ruby never did come, she had played cards and talked until it was so late that she just made a bed there on the floor and slept there. We never told the rest about the barefoot girl. Many footsteps walked to the one trap door, but the other main one never seemed to have any disturbances. We dried walnuts upstairs in the unfinished part and the rats did roll walnuts across the floor to the edge and they rolled down between the walls. We know this accounted for some of the noises we heard, at least the ones upstairs. Some evenings when we lit the kerosene lamp, a strange wind would come into the house and blow the lamp out. We'd go outside to see if it was windy and the air would be strangely still. We'd go back in to light the lamp and the wind would blow it out again, time and time again. This would happen for up to an hour at a time and then it'd go back to normal. My little girl, who was a little over a two by this time, would be playing with her toys or dolls and would stop her play and jerk around and look intently at something I'd watch her so she didn't know it, and she would just look for a while, and then go back to playing. At the time, we'd laugh and say, Oscar's back, with absolutely no fear. We liked it there with our ghosts. Now, I wouldn't stay in that place. One afternoon, Mr. Eichen, our landlord, said he'd be there to pick up some old prune dryers in the prune drying shed on the place. We told him he'd help load them. We were late getting back from milking, and it was one of those evenings when the wind kept blowing out the lamps. Hearing pounding in the shed, my brother-in-law said he'd go help Mr. Aishin with the dryers as it was getting pretty dark. When he got there, there wasn't anyone there. When he got back to the house, you could hear the trays being lifted, pounding, and footsteps. Each time they went down, the noises stopped and no one was there. They'd come back to the house, and it all started again. This and the lamps blowing out went on for about an hour. All at once, the wind and noises were gone, and everything was normal. The next day, we asked Mr. Ayshen if he'd come to get the dryer trays, and he said no, he had found enough at his place and didn't need them. Once again, we didn't tell anyone about this. One time, we had a party with food and drinks and company. It wasn't long until the guests all came and told us they were leaving. If we ever wanted to stay in such a weird place, go ahead, but they were leaving. We asked them what was the matter, but no one would say anything. We were surprised as we had told our occupants to behave themselves as we were having company, but the party broke up early and their parting shot was, if we ever moved, invite them again, but not to that place ever. We were surprised as we never told anything to anyone, partly because we were afraid they think that we were ready for the funny farm and partly because we enjoyed our little secrets. Being young and dumb, we thought it was hilarious and drank to Oscar and all the other shady men who lived there with us. I never heard of a Mrs. Strum, but there were signs of a garden plot, a great patch, and clothesline. The barn was the only place I was afraid of, It was a big, beautiful barn, and I just loved barns. Since I had read and heard about hobos or other homeless people scaring intruders away from the place they wanted to occupy, I went to look and see if this was the case with our barn. On a calm, sunny day, if I entered the barn, gates and partitions would slam shut with such force they would almost hit me. It was such force it would scare the living daylights out of me. There were no spring hinges, or anything like that that would make them do this. No matter when I went down there, this would happen. Since the men were away a lot, I put up with the ghosts more than they did. I did stay alone a few times at night, but wasn't afraid except at the barn. That summer I had a baby boy and there seemed to be less ghostly goings on. Maybe we were just happy with the baby and I was so busy with both children and lots of washing that I would never noticed it as much. Towards fall, my husband went to work for Arnold Nose and since he had a woodcutter's cabin on the place, he came up the hill and insisted we get out of the storm place. He seemed really concerned. Again, no explanation, and we gave him none. As we drove away, I looked back and thought I saw a movement in the shadows. One day, a neighbor came by on horseback and said he was going to go look around the old storm place and asked if we lived there. He came back in a couple of hours, hair unruly and visibly shaken. He asked if we had really lived in that place. He had spent some time looking at some of the old magazines in the upstairs rooms, but wouldn't say anything else except he'd never lived there. In fact, he'd never so much as set foot on their property again. Playing dumb, I asked why as I wanted to hear someone else's version of that place, but all he'd do is shake his head as he rode on. And what happened to the old storm place? A great fire appeared one day on the top of a lonely hill and the old house, and perhaps all the ghosts, went up in smoke, or did they all go live in the barn? The house didn't burn accidentally. The men of the neighborhood got together and burned it down. They seemed to know a good deal about the strange goings on that went on in that old house, but none would really speak of it maybe feeling a little foolish as if it were voiced aloud and would not tolerate any more of that place. I never went back after the house burned. We all got along fine in the house together and lived together quite well. The ghosts tolerated us, but no one else seemed to be able to manage them. Perhaps they liked us, who knows? Being older and looking back, I couldn't or wouldn't have stayed there now as I'd have been scared to death. I'd never talked much about it and now I've written it down. My daughter remembers it very faintly. She was three when we left and remembers the good things. A puppy, a pet pig, going for walks and picking the wildflowers. But who knows what friends she had with her, with Oscar and his troop. Wow, Barbara, that was an absolutely incredible story. Thank you for sharing that with us. And also thank you for painting such a wonderful picture of life before we had all the modern technology and all the conveniences that we just kind of take for granted these days. To think of living in a house without not only without electricity, but also without things like running water is absolutely unrelatable to most people these days, but that was life back then. And I imagine that being that isolated from your neighbors, that every little sound and every little thing that happened was magnified that much more. To So to think that you stayed in that environment for as long as you guys did is an absolute testament to maybe to you guys being young, maybe you guys being brave, or maybe just you folks not having any other place to stay. You're like, well, we're just going to have to make do with what we've got right here. But at any rate, sounds like you folks had a ton of experiences in a house that was so infested with spirits that the community thought it was best that they just get together and burn the place to the ground. (laughs) Think about that, guys, that you live in a house that's so haunted that the community can't stand for the house to even continue to stand. But the thing is, is when you burn a house that's haunted, you don't necessarily get rid of the hauntings. The ghosts are not necessarily tied to that specific house. They're A lot of times they're tied to the property. And what we've seen in historical hauntings is that when houses burn, they are still haunted. The property is still haunted and you still have activity there, whether it's tied to that specific lot where the house was, or as Barbara said, maybe they moved into the barn. You don't know. It probably did not get rid of the ghosts there. So it'd be interested to find out if there's any other activity still going on in that area. At any rate, Barbara, thank you for sending your story in. That was absolutely awesome. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. I would like to thank Pat and Ryan and Barbara for sending in your stories. You guys are absolute rock stars. And as always, if you would like to be a rock star and have your stories shared on our broadcast, be sure to check us out on Facebook at True Paranormal-ThePodcast and hit that email button or message us button and send us your stories and we'd be glad to share your experiences with the world. Also, while you're on Facebook, give us a like and check out the other articles and things that we have on our page. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. If you're listening to us on iTunes, be sure to give us a rating and a review and check out some of our archive shows. There's a lot of good stuff in the past 27 or 28 shows that we've done for you guys. So be sure to check that stuff out. In the meantime, this is Leo Rizzuti. I want to thank you guys for joining us this week and every week. And be sure to join us again next week for another episode of True Paranormal, The Podcast.